Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. <clears throat> Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Theme song, take six, recorded by Swikis Paynute to the fine people in Mastass Land. <clears throat> and a two and a three. Mark and Sarah, they talk about songs. They talk about songs. They talk about songs. They talk about songs and other things and songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am told we can do something called fix in post. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and welcome to 2018, ladies, gentlemen, and Soikai. Uh, that was an unforgettable theme song by Soikis Painut, which may or may not be the stage name of a person we'll be talking to later. Uh, you are listening to Mark and Sarah talk about songs. And uh, I am here with, I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and I am here with the ever inestimable Sarah D. Bunting. I think you could estimate me pretty well. Hello. Happy New Year. <laughs> and uh, Sarah, if I'm not mistaken, I think I hear a third voice chuckling away on this podcast. Am I crazy? Uh, yes, but that's not why. Uh, we are joined for our very first episode of the year by our good friend, Kevin Smokler. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Mark. Hello, everybody in Mastis land. Thanks for having me. Uh this may or may not be the voice of Soikis Paynute. I'm not sure if he wishes to I'm, confirm or deny that. Um, I, uh, no, I'm actually his agent. Oh, um, okay. And uh, he, uh, when when you guys first mentioned him on the train episode, uh, I dropped Sarah a note and informed her that I had a, a distant relative named Soikis Paynute who worked in the Yiddish theater. And I was able to resurrect some audio tapes of him from the past. And I, I think he... He, he, he's not the most trusting fellow, but he put me in—he put me in charge of his of his estate from the great beyond. So that's the function I serve. <laughs> so, that is uh, an amazing responsibility <laughs> that you bear with grace. Uh, it's true. Thank you. And <laughs> I'm very pleased that the um, recordings that uh, he left to be played on a Victrola <laughs> were able to be translated, <laughs> decobwebbed, and translated. Um, I yes. also find it startling that even in the high period of the Yiddish theater in the 1920s, he was recording songs about us. <laughs> like, yeah, he, I, I was, it's like the season I was surprised two to find frequency. that out too. <laughs> exactly. I, I think he, uh, the family lore says that they unearthed a, a crate of wax cylinders <laughs> that, um, with, with mast ass scrawled on the side of them. And That's pronounced, incredible. of course, <clears throat> Mast ass, which is my my favorite part of Soikis's contribution, is that he manages <laughs> yeah. to get the syllable ass very prominently <laughs> into mast. And ass. listeners, if you haven't heard or heard recently the episode where Sarah and I work out a lot of our rage on Train's song "Hey Soul Sister," I would encourage you to go back where you will also hear the mast ass origin of Soikis. Although Soikis clearly he's bigger than all of us and has in a way lived 
always like Kronos, but uh, we're just glad to <laughs> yeah. have him with us in, in spirit today. That was his brother who Many died in a indeed. mill accident, yeah. Kronos Paynute. <laughs> <laughs> Kronos Paynute, yes. I, I would say listen to that episode, even if you're thoroughly tired of hearing about Soikis at this point, it's that good. <laughs> well, on, on that note, just in case uh, people did not tune in to hear the history, the secret history of Soikis Paynute, Kevin, I believe that you've brought us a song today. Please tell us what it is and why you decided that we should talk about it. Yeah, I brought the Cars 1984 top 20 hit Magic, uh, which is tucked in, at, which is on their their penultimate album, Heartbeat City, um, from 1984, and is tucked in at the very end of their greatest hits album, which is, I, I'm guessing, where a lot of people with familiarity with the Cars first heard it. Um, it is not; it is far from their biggest hit. Um, if you say the Cars, which uh, a lot of people are saying these days as brand new inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2018 mm-hmm. class, mm-hmm. Uh, that sounded like a car horn, which is a, which is a perfect which is a perfect audio cue. Um, now do the same thing for Nina Simone. Um, uh, also oh, inducted this year. St- uh, strange fruit. That's I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No strange fruit audio kid. <laughs> Best I could do. Fair enough. Um, it was far from the car's biggest hit, but it is my favorite song of theirs by leaps and bounds. And the more I listen to it, the more I like it. And when I first heard it on the on the tennis camp van in 1984. <laughs> sure. Um, We'll get to that in a second. Uh, I remember falling in love with it at first here, and um, and uh, the more time I spend with the cars and with that and with that song, the more I enjoy it. I, I actually came to this suggestion for you guys and for the show because I had just completed a very long piece about the Cars song, the earlier Cars song, "Moving in Stereo," which everybody knows is the uh, Phoebe Cates getting out of the swimming pool song in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, and I got to thinking sort of about what they do and, and how I first came to love them and their music. And that's what led us to magic. Well, shall we hear a clip? Because I think love at first listen is um, absolutely the onomatopoetic experience of the opening bars of the song. The clip is pretty long, but I think that we needed to leave it long to get everything that's typical about it in there. So shall we hear that and then discuss? Let's do it. All right. Yeah, that'd be go. great. Thank you. 
I was always so frustrated uh, that this song wasn't as popular as their like super mega hits that were all over MTV and all over the radio all the time. Yeah. Not that I didn't like yeah. those tracks because I like them fine. With the well, mm-hmm. there's a couple uh, exceptions, and actually, Heartbeat City is not. I don't like that song at all. Ironically, I guess uh, a slow pulse at the very yeah. least. But um, this. I mean, this opener is the sound of magic, like a spell being cast. It's of love at first sight happening. It is the sound of an erection being born. And it is great. (laughs) Uh, I also love the very end, too, that when he's like, that's true. And then he does a little like more Mm -hmm. melodic version of the of the chorus. And as it's fading out, Uh, it's just a great, great song. Not that the bigger hits weren't. But uh, mm. I was so happy to revisit this and just think about it. And it, it really is a very well-made pop song. Mm. Uh, so thank you for, for bringing this back into our lives. But I, th- I think I didn't even realize how good this song is at its job until thinking about it for the podcast. If, if you were to construct a set of buttons of all of the things I like in a pop song the car's magic is essentially just leaning a forearm across all of them. And <laughs> like, in like that first 20 seconds, it's got that weird keyboardy sound that sounds like a, a toy submarine sort of emerging from the ocean. Um, and then, uh, the keyboard is higher than this very bluesy rock guitar. And then it has those high harmonies contrasting with Rick Ocasek's vocals, which are, at least an, a half octave, probably a whole octave lower. Um, and it it has the word magic. You know, like I listened to this song in preparing for the episode and I would type magic into iTunes and all of the other things I owned in iTunes with the word magic in them came up. And I realized I basically like every song with the word yeah, magic in it. I was thinking that, that yeah. should we have not put this in a lineup like we did with Stay? And it's like, oh. which is the most magical? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that even still, because honestly, I was thinking about Olivia Newton-John's Magic, and then there's oh, a yeah. there's a B.O.B. song called Magic that features Rivers Cuomo, and we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, so, oh, like, yeah. magic, you know. Um, but I have to say... There's a Hearts Magic Man, and... Uh, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, and then there's honestly, and then Love and Spoonfuls, Do You Believe in Magic? It's something about hit songs with mm. the word magic in them are good. Yeah. I guess that's so. Yeah, could, I feel like I feel like you could write a song called Magic Fascism and I would still be into be like, it. Actually, like, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm well, I'll give it a listen. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how good is the synth, how good is the synth line? That's going to really, that'll have a lot to do with it. Um, so true. I did not realize how many times I had seen this music video as a child because I hadn't thought about or seen this music video since 1985, 84, when the song was popular, and then couldn't remember if I had ever seen this music video before because clearly I very strongly remember the video for You Might Think where Rick Ocasek Mm. is a fly and Rick Ocasek is like a (laughs) tube of lipstick and all of that stuff. And then uh, Drive is the song that I feel like I still hear from this album. It seems to be 
the song that's always on in my life and i love that song too um so yeah like magic is definitely a song i knew but was in third position in my memories but then when i watched the music video in preparation for this i was like oh 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 crap i'm actually being sucked backward i could suddenly see myself wearing my little like light blue shorts and then the tall white socks with the stripes around the top like I was back because um, for those of you who haven't seen this video in a while you might remember it as the one where Rick Ocasek is able to walk on water at a pool and then there are all of these crazy mm. culty followers who try to get in the pool with him and then they fall down in the water and it, mm. it's so good and I feel like that not for nothing but the fact that the car's videos are all so great but also seem so tossed off and cheaply made speaks somehow also to why I like their music because their songs, especially on this album where Mutt Lang became their producer, are so tightly constructed and there's not a wasted note, sound, anything, and yet they still manage to maintain this feeling of ease, which makes them so special to me. Like the song Magic, perfect example. That that little synthy bounce at the beginning, you think about someone like Gary Newman or Thomas Dolby, and they have really interesting synth uh, riffs, or like the Human League, but all of those sound so um, polished within an inch of their lives, not an insult, but mm -hmm. there's something about the cars mm -hmm. where they get that electronic synthy sound, but it also feels like just four dudes just happen to think of this on the like walk to the fridge. It's just that, that sense of um, aliveness and immediacy makes them very special to me. And they're not taking themselves quite as seriously as those other artists, I wouldn't say. I mean, I guess mm. it's pretty easy to be like mellow if you're Rick Ocasek and you're married to a supermodel. <laughs> but Although I he also... wasn't at the time. He met her on the set of the video for Drive, but they didn't get married till 1989. I did not realize that. Oh, I didn't yes. know that. He did not marry Paulina Poroskava or whatever her name is until 1989. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's just something about, this is like, um, this is definitely my favorite car song where uh, Okasek is on the lead vocal. Um, my other favorite car song is from like the previous era of the cars, Just What I Needed, which has uh, the, you, uh, yes. the late Benjamin Orr yeah. on vocals. And P.S. Benjamin Orr died. Like a I didn't know that until today a while <laughs> when ago. I looked it up. I know. A long time ago. <laughs> I know. Uh, pancreatic cancer. That's t it's terrible. Um, anyway, but there there's something about, like, it's not like a punk or Ramones aesthetic where they don't know what they're doing. They mm -hmm. clearly do. But they also are like, we're making pop music. Like, we're not. You know, they're not trying to be Bono about it and whatever. Yes. Don't at me. Like, just this is, I'm tired. <laughs> Bono makes me tired. That's all. He He's great. Just ask him. Um, but there is a, um, there's something about, it's not even lightheartedness. It's just like, this is their job and they do it and they do it well and they don't take themselves all that seriously doing it. And there's something about that that's, that's great. And you're talking about the music video, which I totally forgot until you started describing it. And then I remembered like, oh, sure. That could be taken as sort of like offensive and self-aggrandizing, but they're clearly making a joke about it. That it's like, yes. you know, pop music popularity. Like, what? What even is this? And like, we're walking on water. What? That's ridiculous. So th there is a spirit to it that... <laughs> like the, your, uh, we thought of this walking to the fridge comment. Like they probably did, but then they 
they made the absolute most of the song that it could possibly be, but they also don't think it's brain surgery, and I appreciate that attitude, honestly. Yeah, yeah. the the two criticisms that that I you know that I hear snotty people give to pop music are, is that it's stupid number one or number two that it's over engineered that that it's simply simply someone has worked way too hard like Mark said polishing it within an inch of its life and it's fundamentally something that does not deserve that kind of labor uh, a I think that's that's horse pucky uh, and B I think that like I think the car's career is sort of a living breathing testament to the idea that pop isn't a dirty word and the way it becomes more interesting than simply being pop music is sort of you know being catchy and melodic and listenable in the way pop music is but having a, a degree of slyness and wit to it yes um, it doesn't it doesn't choke on its own earnestness and and I think like I'm glad you brought up just what I needed, Sarah, because that's that's clearly a song about uh, it's clearly a song about a guy who is with someone who um, who he really wishes he wasn't with, and so the just what I needed is delivered with a giant with a giant like measuring cup full of sarcasm, um, and even in Magic, which is far more earnest than just what I needed, um, there's a there's a bit of there's a, a slight tinge of creepiness to it like obviously it's about oh i'm in love with this person and and being in love with her is magic but if you look at the lyrics as to how the object of desire is described it's words like shackles and bones and um yeah there's something slightly macabre about uh, about this sort of joyous neo beach boys song and then there's also i think that's a great oh oh sorry go ahead i just think that's a great point to touch on the macabre element of this song because the second Mm. verse which we didn't hear in the clip is twisted under sideways down i know you're getting twisted and you can't calm down i see you under the midnight which is a phrase that gets repeated love darts in your eyes and i just feel like you know if this song is so sunny but again it's taking place at midnight it's about getting twisted (laughs) and you know sarah you and i were just talking about paramore in our countdown episode about how they do a similar thing where they make this really bright sounding music but if you listen to it there's actually this darkness underneath it and i feel like kevin you've touched on something really correct about what makes the car so interesting to listen to because again i love a song that's been polished with an inch of an inch of its life i mean i i I will listen to paula abdul today rick astley yes please but me too for songs like this like where the brightness then if you I, I, I guess to put it this way, to me, really exciting pop music is music that if you listen to it superficially, it just gives you the easy joy of polished music. But if you pay a little bit more attention, you start to notice that there's something else for those who care to find it. And I feel like the cars have that over and over and over again. There's always some twist, some some something that's being added to the song that's there for you if you if you respect the music enough to notice it. Well, and there's also, I mean, th- look at the meta, look at the meta layers that are in just the title. First of all, this song is flawlessly engineered, um, like w- using a, the li- a lathe, basically, audio-wise. <laughs> um, it's like a yeah. piano leg. It's perfect, and it does exactly what it needs to do. So there's that magic, which seems like magic to the uninitiated, but is actually hard work and requires a really good ear and a bunch of takes and, you know, Mm. talented musicians to give you the tracks and so on. Mm. But then 
there's this really dark, there's this really dark verse, but then when he's just sort of talking about the, the love aspect of it, to, to say that a relationship is magical is to kind of take a shortcut around what's actually happening for you emotionally. So in that case, the magic is like, mm-hmm. well, I don't really feel like exploring this lyrically and trying to find things that rhyme with stalker. So I'm just going to say it's magic. Like, <laughs> and this is not shade. It's just really like the more mm-hmm. you, the, like the suitcase actually of li- the lyrics and the song is actually magical in that it looks like it's about eight inches deep, but then it, you keep pulling stuff out of it. And on top of that, it's just really pleasurable to listen to and, yeah, it's it's a great song. I will also add, apropos of absolutely nothing I was just saying, that the video was shot at the Hilton family's house in Beverly Hills. Hey. Oh, hello. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I talk about magic um, and like pop culture stardom really not meaning anything. Exhibits A through yeah, F. There you go. <laughs> F minus, more, more like. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I want to I want to ask you guys. I, I had sort of tossed off in in my in my you know over preparing pre-email that um that i i felt like the the roots of this song like it clearly it clearly owed a debt of gratitude to the beach boys mm. and, and maybe that's just because it begins with summer it turns me upside down which is which is probably you know which is something brian wilson probably wrote on the back of a cocktail napkin some <laughs> somewhere and rick okasic found or the back um, of a benzo and, prescription <laughs> yeah exactly and um and I feel like it, it certainly it certainly has the sort of flawless construction of like a brill building fifties pop song. But those are usually not those are usually not sort of sort of the direct antecedents given to the cars when people talk about them. And I'm mm. sure what people will say when they get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame next spring is uh, you know, bridge the gap between punk and new wave and, you know, rock critic BS like that. Um and which which I don't I think is true, but I also think the cars seem to be pulling from a from an older set of inspirations too. And then you have the guitar, which sounds super like blues band, you know, like something Cheap Trick or or even mm. ACDC would play. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about like like where they're drawing from from this? Well, it, it's a weird well, thing because I always I'm not sure that I'm like qualified to speculate what they're what they're drawing from i think that your conclusions are make sense and are legit Mm -hmm. but it's also interesting that like they bridged a gap in their own career like i feel like there were two Mm -hmm. distinct eras of the cars there was 70s the cars which was much more of a like i don't know stereotypical like early new wave and was a little like a little louder and less poppy mm-hmm. although yeah. contemporaries with blondie uh, and the talking right. heads although many yeah. of those many of those singles from the first couple of albums charted and were famous and we were mm-hmm. hearing them on the radio like throughout my childhood at least when i was sentient but then mm-hmm. This, the album that this song and all the like monster singles came off of was a different sound. It was poppier. It was, it was just more eighties. It was just more Reagan Mm -hmm. era and it was more Mm. MTV. And you can kind of see, I think there is actually a video for just what I needed in which they look utterly uncomfortable, 
but yeah, it's a live performance video, and you're right. They they just they, I I feel like the dis- the the Cars are such a great example of a band that existed and had popularity before MTV, immediately figured out how to exploit MTV, and then sustained their popularity through the '80s in that new milieu. Not that their music became well, I don't. I've never accepted the critique that music made for MTV was bad, but like you know, they just they really understood two different eras, and they were able to transition between the two without losing their essential qualities. Well, but then they, but that was only it was only two. Like this was a huge group. This was like this was a stadium outfit, and then it just ended. Like I think they tried to have reunion tours and whatever do various albums but like there was the album that um this came off there was one more album that i can't name a single track from off the top of my head and then they they quit yeah and i think they were trying to get something back together and then benjamin Orr is like here's the thing about pancreatic cancer no (laughs) avenge me and then but i think that yeah so that that's always been interesting to me too like when you look, when I try to put myself back in this era when I was in middle school and like try to think about which of these acts I thought would still like be in the discussion or touring or whatever when I was the age I am now. I, I mean, not that I necessarily thought about it in that way, because when you're 12, it's impossible to see more than four feet mm-hmm. in front of you. But but the Cars definitely had that sense of this is a quality band. Like they're making hit singles, but I also can sense that they're a quality band. So yes, I would expect them to be around, which I actually think speaks, Kevin, to your question about the influences that we see in them, even if other people don't. Because I think the Beach Boys is right on. And I brought up the Love and Spoonful earlier, and I actually think that I have always thought there was a Love and Spoonful-ish quality to the cars because you know the love and spoonful was the kind of band that would uh write these really upbeat songs but if you listen to a song like summer in the city it's really about how much it sucks to to be in new york when it's really hot (laughs) or you know and there's like they really get that great blend of happiness and grit and so to me bands like that that are really good at making you happy but also have a little bit of something extra i feel like that's the the arc that they find themselves in. And I think you're right, Sarah, too, that one would have expected them to go on, although perhaps now is the right time for me to bring up the question not only of their influences, but also of their legacy, because I want to put to the group this thought experiment. Uh, because Rick Okasik shortly after... I've said Okasik and Okasik today. Who knows? Rick O. Maybe it's whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try them all! Um, but after he, le- after, th- after the end of the cars, he became a vaunted producer and then produced the- several albums by Weezer, including the breakthrough album that had Buddy Holly and the sweater song. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. Weezer is the cars in 1993, 94. Like it- it- I had never th- really made that connection before, but that is the that first Weezer album is the album that I would have expected the Cars to make in 1994, but I also wanted to think about with you guys. I feel like I also see 
the car's influence in Fountains of Wayne, who we've talked about before on the mm. podcast. So what is it about Fountains of Wayne that they get wrong? And what is it about a band like Weezer that gets it right? Like, what what is it about the the cars that carries forward well, and that or that people don't get when they try to imitate the cars later? Uh, uh, first, I want to I, I want to say, Mark, I this is a great question, and I think your by the way, I think your comparison to Loving Spoonful is is dead on. I, I think especially in the fact that both Loving Spoonful and the Cars sort of had a reliance on lead and backing vocals, mm. and both knew like it wasn't the strongest part of what they did. Like no one would say that the lead singer of Loving Spoonful or Rick O um, <laughs> had a great voice, <laughs> right? Um, and that their musical strengths lied elsewhere, and yet they both pushed those to the front because it sort of helped keep this keep overall keep the, kept the songs they were doing together. Right. Uh, the songs are kind of bracketed by lead and backing vocals. Um, but to get to your to to the question on the table, like the thing the thing I've never liked about Weezer is I think the I think the chief reason for their initial success, which is they had this very squirmy relationship. I think still have this very squirmy relationship with being called pop music. Mm. Um, uh, that it, if you look at it, if you put it under a, a microscope and poke at it with a stick, it is definitely pop music. And yet you couldn't call yourself pop music in 1994 um, because that really was a dirty mm-hmm. word then. Um, and so you had to, you had to do what Weezer did, which is kind of act disaffected and like, you didn't really care about the music you were making. Um, and you didn't really, and that you were slightly annoyed to have to be there to lay it down on wax. Um, but if you, but part of what attracted people to it was that I think a lot of what attracted people to Weezer's initial albums was that contrast, um, that the band didn't seem to be interested in making pop music. And yet the tunes they produced were just as catchy as pop music. Right. Um, and that seems to me very much directly from the car's gene pool mm-hmm. um, that I, maybe not the uncomfortableness with making pop, but with the with the sort of subversive quality that pop does not necessarily mean straightforward and all out in the right. open. Um, well, I, would, I mean, I think another problem that Weezer had was that, um, you know, the sweater song was like the first big hit and. I think that was probably an accident and that it was this like very like cuddly indie rock novelty song that like mm, yeah. talk about an itchy sweater for them to have to keep wearing. And I think they just have been, yeah. you know, itching ever since. Uh, but I, I would say that I think that there's also a lot of the cars in um, panic at the disco. And sure. In the oh god, I can't remember the not the shins. Yeah, the shins, I guess. Yeah, um, or fall. Well, not really so much Fall Out Boy, but yeah, the shins totally and definitely Panic at the Disco, especially like later albums of theirs. Yeah, yeah, like. T- and I would say the new pornographer. Yeah. Oh also. god, like, n- yes. Not necessarily sonically, but definitely in that sort of spirit of. But uh, like, I don't think that the cars were necessarily all that disaffected. Although it may be that some of the some of their like legatees down the line, like Fountains of Wayne, like Weezer, took the wrong took the wrong thing from just uh, Rick O wearing his sunglasses all the time and sort of being like, whatever, this is cool, but I don't need it. Like that's very different from being like uh, having that like Kurt Cobaini, I resent you looking at me 
right. when I do this for a living to try to make you look at me. Um, and also people taking the wrong message from Kurt Cobain, who was extremely ambitious. So whatever. Yeah. With the, you know, you and your world broke him. G- give me a break. Um, but I, I do wonder, like... I do wonder what the discussions were like, like backstage or in the studio when that last album did whatever it did. Did they actually look at each other and be like, you know, it's adapt or perish. Maybe we should just perish Mm. and Mm. do other things. And it seems like at least Rick Ocasek. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, please add us because this is ridiculous. Yeah. um, Ocasek. Uh, mm-hmm. he obviously had other skills, um, but you know, that's, that's a rarity for a band to just sort of look at itself and be like, we, you know, we're at the end of our useful life mm. and certainly at the end of the eighties with like fucking white snake or whatever the hell else was going on on mm-hmm. MTV and in the culture, they could have been like, this is not the place for us. This is not going to come back around in time for us to mm-hmm. make a living. Let's. Let's do something else. But then he goes and produces all of those Weezer songs. I just think it's so interesting. Like he is the he was the one at the knobs for the sweater song, and yeah. Buddy Holly yeah. and I. It, oh, and by the way, I just looked. Suzanne. Yeah, and all I just of looked those, it up, yeah. and of course, the reason I'm remembering that Fountains of Wayne liked the Cars is because the video was filled with Rick Ocasek. Ochasek references uh so it's not like that was some big insight i had just forgotten that i looked that up when we talked about it a few months ago but i think that sarah what you're saying makes me think that what the what weezer is and stacy's mom and really even the new pornographers although i really like them and i actually quite like weezer uh some a lot of weezer songs but it's like the cars they they got the melodic allure of the cars but they added a certain amount of self-conscious uh uh, they, they added a certain amount of self-conscious intelligence to the to the writing, like a need to demonstrate their intelligence in the way that the the lyrics to Magic are basically just summer, summer, summer. It's Magic, summer, pool, set, summer, high heels. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and I think it's maybe a response to what Kevin was saying about pop is dirty. So if we show you that we're smart while we're also making hooks, maybe we let ourselves off the hook. I don't know. It's like it was a harder time in the 90s to just be effortless in your pop rock leaning. So it's like the cars plus posturing plus the need to have a good rep lead you to Stacy's mom. I don't know. Yeah, I'm and just I sort think of... it's a, I think it's a little easier in the mid to late seventies to be a band with influences and not feel like you have to make the whatever pomo pastiche right barf or like to make your references explicit so that you're not so that you don't feel like people are going to think you're ripping it off. Whereas right. 20 years later, I think, you know, I think the position of like, this is an homage, like you actually have to make some of those references more explicit. You have to actually Even put a Rick Ocasek reference seem, in the video. Yeah. Yeah. That it has to be like, either you're going to be self-conscious and humorless about like showing your work or you're going to be accused of, like ripping it off like this has been a problem i think for 25 years for luna and velvet underground well, that luna's like yes of course they're an influence 
Well, and now we're at a point where artists are preemptively giving older songwriters credit on their new songs because they're preemptively trying to avoid getting sued. So, yes, like, influence has given way to copyright infringement lawsuit and all of that. (laughs) Well, yeah. Here's a quick Fountains of Wayne-related thought, something I will never say again. do you think? Do you guys think that Fountains of Wayne gets it wrong by making, just in the case of Stacy's mom, by making it all about them, whereas the Cars, y- you you could listen to the Cars from first album to last and never really know something about the band. There's something remote huh. about them, and yet Stacy's mom is purely confessional, and, and and thereby it seems to sort of wear out its welcome sooner. This is this is very embryonic at this point. Maybe. I mean, because Fountains of Wayne is from the same part of the country that I am, like, you could stand Mm -hmm. on my parents' roof and probably see them practicing a few towns over. I mean, it's not that close, but still. (laughs) There is a, um, they have that one song about, um, like, driving home from the weekend, like, it's winter break, and uh, the house Mm -hmm. is empty, and they're jumping on the beds and stuff like that. And there's something about the way they describe certain drives and, like, the way leaves look that like those are shortcuts for me that work um but i but because you already know where they're from like for me that's already like baked in because i know what we new jersey looks like and i know what they're talking about because i'm from five towns over whatever it is so that's i don't see that as necessarily being about the band but i think that's an interesting point but I think Mark should answer because he's not. I from feel New like Jersey. it's just bless his heart. Yeah, I feel like it's to me. It's just getting at how subjective all of this is, of course, mm-hmm. because to me, I think it's more to do with my own internal barometer of what feels uh, real and what doesn't, and what feels effortless and what feels effortful. And there's no way of creating like a formula for that, because if, if there were, then Clive Davis would live forever, and we would all be beholden to that him anyway. for the rest of our lives. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I think that because I feel like that the idea that a, the impersonality is the key is not necessarily what it is about me and Fountains of Wayne, because then they have a song like Red Dragon Tattoo, which we also talked about, which is completely a third-person fictional. You know, they've created a character. Mm-hmm. And then there are certainly other bands that feel like they've written very personal songs that I really respond to and like, like the Beach Boys, for instance. I feel like God Only Knows actually feels like it's about Brian Wilson as much as it does anything else. So, But I feel like in a way, though, what you're getting at is another one of the reason that the particular ingredients of the Cars work is that they have written vaguely impersonal. They've written vague and slightly impersonal lyrics but they do it so consistently. But then again, well, I don't the know. the metrics that they because, were being yeah. judged on related to what I said before. Like, I think that there is an expectation for bands in this whatever genre, indie, rock, rock pop, that, uh, you know, mumblecore. slam yeah, norm, norm <laughs> core pop. That, mm-hmm. that you be smart and have the you know, dime store Warhol glasses and have like these, like just have your songs crusted with references. And I think the previous generation of bands with a similar sound 
were not were did not feel pressure to do that they could just like you know word barf into the microphone it's like summer 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 something something that rhymes with round like that you know (laughs) we'll fix it in post like it didn't have to be quite so smart and self-conscious because it was still newer and you weren't quite at that point yet in the life cycle of rock and roll as a medium where cycles were starting to repeat and you were starting to like you had a little of it in the 70s with like bubblegum stuff that harkened back to the 50s but I I mean I think the cars didn't have to be self-conscious and like have reference layers you know three layers deep on a verse because that's not what rock and pop were for when they were active I think that's great yeah I think so too. That's a really I, good. That's a really good point. I, I mean, yeah. I could be wrong. Maybe like, maybe Rick O is not that he's listening to this, but um, <laughs> maybe he's like with his arms folded, like, uh, excuse me, this is obviously a reference to the Zoroastrian. Like, okay, uh, what, <laughs> what, like, um, as Anton Mesmer once said, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I could be wrong. And then we push him down a flight of stairs. But yeah, like, I don't. I still don't necessarily enjoy Founds of Wayne as much as I could because I do feel like for them and Weezer, there is a standing back from their shit and admiring mm-hmm. it and, you know, smelling of own farts, itis. But, <laughs> and I don't think the cars do that because I think the cars were like, I, I don't know. It's it's like when someone's in a slump in baseball and the coach is like, see ball, hit ball. Like, don't. it's not that complicated like you play the guitar you sing some things you try to be on pitch and then you go drink a beer like i don't i don't think it's difficult (laughs) well i I think this is a good time to bring up oh sorry go on kevin oh i was just gonna say when i first heard this song on the on the tennis camp van when i was when i was 11 uh in ann arbor michigan um i i I remember hearing that that opening riff and loving it and then turning to someone who was older and saying what is this song and he just sort of shrugged and said the cars and and like like he couldn't be bothered and i knew who the cars (laughs) were and I loved the fact that it was a song about summertime that wasn't the Beach Boys, that wasn't, um, you know, that wasn't that wasn't 50 other summer classics that I knew from growing up outside Detroit where classic rock radio reigned supreme. Sure. And at the time I was I was too uneducated to know about like Earth, Wind and Fire's September. And it was before Will Smith's summertime, um, just to put it in. But I, I liked the fact that there was something a little unknown about it now. Based on what we're saying here, I have I have every belief that Rick O, Rick Akasak woke up woke up one morning, <laughs> and said, "You know what? I want to do my summer anthem, or I want to do my Beach Boys song." Um, okay, so we'll we'll make summer the first word, and then we'll have the rest of it about falling in love with a girl, and then because we can't help ourselves, there'll be some weird twisted references because that's because six albums in that's what we do, but it'll still be our summer anthem song. And um, I, I've always appreciated it for that because that it, it did it, it sort of pretty obviously referenced something later and yet was completely of its time to be to for it to feel like 11 year old me's own. And there was also, you know, I what's think... interesting about that. Oh, go ahead. Well, it just reminds me that the cars became a huge act when they were all in their mid to late 30s. And maybe there's just something about that too. They're like, you know what? We're older. We don't have as much to 
prove like you know what let's just make a good summer song let's make a great power ballad drive great mm. we'll make a power ballad about cars it's like we'll make a power ballad about driving a car it's like two things that americans love all the time great here we go and they're also coming in at a time with this album anyway they're sort of coming in when new row was finally starting to release its grip so you're watching mtv um which you're not supposed to be doing at least in my house because my mother thought that it mm blighted your attention span she probably was not wrong so you'd have a duran duran video where they're all beautiful and like had been like they invented contouring on the sets of those videos right yeah there's like hair glitter Uh, i mean amazing or Mm. thompson twins or human league culture club or culture club um and then there then there started to be more and more like hits by the by guys who were just guys. They weren't pretty. They're just dudes. So like mm-hmm. then middle of the decade, Springsteen, uh, Men at Work, Huey Lewis, Men mm-hmm. at Work, and the Cars. Who you could say mm-hmm. a lot of things about uh, Rick O. And I do like a tall drink of water, but he literally looks like a scarecrow. This is not someone that you see on the street and you're like, I would hit that. Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although my brother yeah. did see Sorry, him Mr. on the street back in the day when they were both living in the East Village. And my brother's like, he's actually surprisingly good looking in person. I was like, well, compared to what? Well, all right, Mr. O'Shea-Sec. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, clearly he's he's got some he's got something. Uh, they're still married, I think, right? Uh, yes, yeah. I, do. I believe According so. According to Wikipedia, um, which has never been wrong. Yeah, so there's there's also that that I think between the that they were not 20 years old and that they were not the sort of stereotypical visually overproduced new row outfit that they were kind of like well house money like i think that that Mm. is also a good attitude to have that it's like this could all go away at any time and they always seem to they always seem to understand that that could be true they made a ton of videos they made a ton of money exit stage left and good for them well i feel like this is a great time listeners to let you know why kevin our guest was able to bring in such a thoughtful selection that clearly generated so much stuff to talk about uh kevin if i'm not mistaken you've written a pamphlet about the 80s that's been distributed could you tell us more about said pamphlet oh god mark if it was only the size of a pamphlet um no it's it's, now i'm now i'm making it sound like it would hurt you if it fell on you but uh it no i am the author of a book that came out last year called brat pack america a love letter to 80s teen movies um and I've always loved the car, the cars, but a particular 80s teen movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, got me thinking about them again and their use in that movie, um, which does, I think, bring up the question, like, wouldn't magic have been perfect for an 80s teen movie soundtrack? Yes. Well, and I think you do I mean, sometimes can we just see it hear right it. Now? Like, I think they have started dropping it into certain, like, flashbacks to the mm. 80s. Because, yeah, I mean, I feel like it was in the movie some kind of wonderful, even if it wasn't in the movie some kind of wonderful. Like, in my revised imagination, Helen Slater is kissing Eric Stoltz while that song is playing. It's actually Mary Stuart Masterson, but uh, keep revising. is it not? (laughs) But wait, who's the other woman? There's two of them, right? 
Oh, sh- you know what, you guys? I'm right. You're right. <laughs> Helen Slater is Billie Jean. It's yes. just all and Supergirl. <laughs> forgive me, forgive me. Mary Stuart Masterson. I'm so and sorry. Speaking I'm so of flashbacks, you can flash back to our Two by Fountains of Wayne episode, and there's definitely a reference to that moment because it's in the Stacy's Mom video, and it's all like a Moebius of of footnotes, and it's pretty great. And so is Kevin's book. It's excellent. Thank you, Sarah. I, I had so much fun writing about it, and it's it's been great to talk to um, people all across the country about their favorite 80s teen movies, and it's still available in a fine bookstore or online outlet near you. Are you on the road and what with I will it say too, anytime soon, or are you re- at rest? Uh, uh, a couple of things early next year, but that's, uh, that's all I've planned uh, so far, uh, up until about March. But what I will say about Kevin's book, Kevin, you're here. I shouldn't talk about you in the third person. But <laughs> what I like so much about your book is that it it mixes pure and infectious enthusiasm with uh, true thoughtfulness and excellent writing. So it's sort of the perfect storm of enjoy, enjoyment and analysis. That's, much, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Much like Mastass, except yeah. for the hey. uh, thoughtfulness part and the coherence <laughs> at least from this co-host well kevin thank you so much for being our guest thank you for the excellent song recommendation listeners thank you for joining us now in our third calendar year of mastasizing metastasizing metastasizing <laughs> no, i don't know not metastasizing oh, castasizing. And thank you and thank you to rick okachobe <laughs> thank you to rick okachobe and the cars <laughs> for all of your wonderful music guys it's been magic uh, Oh, it really has. Hey, sweet Annie, don't take it so bad. You know the summer's coming soon. This is Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting, that's me, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting, that's also me. Do you need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Here's how. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet at us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastass.podcast. And you can become a supporter and producer of this podcast at our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash mastass. Thanks for listening. Mark and Sarah, they talk about songs, they talk about songs, they talk about songs, they talk about songs and other things and songs, oh yeah. Uh, I am told we can do something called fix in post. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.